Welcome to the Resource Podcast. SOURCE stands for Serving Our Upstate Region Community Entrepreneurs. I'm Jeff Wilson, and I'll be your host each week as I sit down with successful entrepreneurs from here in the upstate of South Carolina, giving them an opportunity to share their journey with you and their successes. In this episode, I speak with John Michael Carter of Chartspan. John Michael talks about how 96% of entrepreneurs fail, yet he has learned so much from negative experiences throughout his entrepreneurial journey. You'll also hear about Carter Family Wines, a downtown urban winery that he and his family have started recently. And advice he gives to us all is the importance of building a referral network for introductions to venture capitalists. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Take a listen. I have John Michael Carter with Chartspan. John Michael, hello. Hey, terrific to be here today. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Uh, our listeners don't know, but you and I have crossed paths uh, as your, uh, your, your venture and your journey with, with Chartspan. A couple of uh, uh, career paths I've had with uh, working alongside Greenway Health at one time and then with QS1 uh, on the, the medical side, the pharmacy side. So I've, I've gotten to see uh, the, the growth and your journey from the sidelines uh, but you, you are just a, a classic example of why I decided to start this podcast is because your story, your journey, um, I feel like needed a platform to be told. Uh, so that, that, that's why I've done this. But before we get started, for our listeners, give us the value proposition for Chartspan. Right. So I'm the founder and CEO of Chartspan. And Chartspan focuses on providing preventative virtual care to Medicare patients. So what does that mean? Today, this, the patient journey is really a sick journey. When was the last time you went to the doctor to prevent something? Right. right. You go to the doctor to get a prescription refilled or because something hurts. But what Medicare figured out around 2015 was that if at the patient's convenience, we would preventatively reach out to them on their terms when they're home and check in with them. Maybe a patient that's got diabetes and high blood pressure, but it's not serious yet. If we'll intervene and provide preventative care, the claims data shows us a remarkable reduction in the spend for that patient. In fact, when you take inventory of all the value-based care programs that we've ever launched in this country, the most successful based on claims data and taxpayer savings is chronic care management, and we've become the largest provider of chronic care management solutions in the country. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you talk about the, being the founder with Chartspan. I like to ask all of my listeners about their entrepreneurial itch, right? When, when did you first realize, I got to build something, I got to start something. So was was chart span that for you and 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 when did that realization come at at what age or or stage of your life honestly it came 20 years ago okay i think at some point you get tired of working for idiots (laughs) if i'm being honest you can be and that was you know that i always say if 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 you learn a lot about somebody during moments of adversity and I think I've learned more from a lot of bad bosses and bad work environments that I ever learned from the good ones. Okay. I learned how not to be a leader. Okay. I learned how not to manage people. I learned what a bad culture looked like. 
And so you take those learnings, and if you have enough drive, and if you have enough resiliency, you end up um, entertaining these ideas of what if I went out and did it my own. So Chartspan is probably act six or seven for me. I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors over the the last couple of decades, but certainly Chartspan's the biggest one okay. I've ever been a part of. Okay. Is it fair to label you as a serial entrepreneur? It is. I think at this point, that's exactly the right description. All right. So with that, Carter Family Wines. I, I was I was expecting a gift today. I got to be honest. That's <laughs> yeah. So um, unexpected for a lot of people because um, I, I did it quietly. You know, I, I've always been a big wine collector. Um, I became a sommelier a few years back and then quietly just started volunteering uh, at different wineries, just being a seller at, learning the business. It really, because I just, you know, it, it was a passionate hobby and project, but then it became an obsession. Okay. And so, you know, once it becomes an obsession, you're not going to shake it. And um I just quietly started a commercial enterprise about four years ago. Now, it takes three years of writing checks before you ever produce a bottle of wine, at least red wine, that can be sold. So our 2019 vintage was just released about six weeks ago. Nice. Uh, I couldn't be prouder of it, Jeff. Awesome. It's, it's terrific. We source all of our grapes from California, not South Carolina, okay. but our production facility, our winery is here in, in Greenville, just okay. near downtown. And it's a different business model. It's not open to the public. We sell directly to consumer. Uh, and we do have private wine tastings, but it's not that traditional vineyard. It's an urban winery, okay. and it's not one you can just walk up to and get into. But it's um, it's producing really good wines that I'm proud of. Uh, it's in the ground, uh, Greenville downtown area, and, and I have a feeling uh, we've got a lot of good things ahead for us based on the 2020, which we're about to bottle, and the 2021, which is about to come in from the field. Nice. Very nice. You, you touched on um, specifically with, with this venture, with Carter uh, Family Wines, you talked about the passion. Uh, I want to recognize the fact your, your brother, being a co-founder, you're uh, practicing uh, business, your brother practicing clinician. There had to be a little bit of passion I'm sensing somewhere in starting Chartspan. Certainly there was for Patrick. He was a 20-year clinician who saw how poorly patients were engaged in the healthcare process. We grew up really poor. We didn't have money to pay for college, and the only way we could go to college was to either work or take the avenue that my brother did, which was to pledge to work for two years in an underserved community, okay. and then the government would pay for your medical school, and that's what they did for him. And funny thing is, after two years, he stayed there for 20 more and, wow. and worked in the rural parts of Carolina, primarily North Carolina, okay. um, and, and did a lot of trauma and ER work. And, and that journey really saw how poorly, as providers, as a healthcare system, we were engaging patients. And so he knew I was a serial entrepreneur. We had talked for years about doing something together. Okay. He knew I understood how to raise venture capital, how to manage the operations and finances of a company. So think of it as that partnership where he's the brains and I'm the muscle. Okay. And, and we were the perfect pair to launch this company, Chartspan. And so we did in, in 2013. That's awesome. That's awesome. When I asked you the question about entrepreneurial itch, you talked about learning a lot from bad examples. 
one of those bad examples was uh, company culture. Um, I know you pride yourself on the company culture that has been built at Chartspan. Um, talk to us about that, the, the importance of that, and why the culture at, at Chartspan. I know you're, you're growing in terms of, of employees. Why, why is that so important, and why does that have to be such a focus? By the way, I don't know that I would have told you that 10 years ago. Okay. I've had to go through my own maturation to really understand the value of culture. Okay. I think in the early days of any company, culture is a reflection of that small management team, the culture of, of six people sitting around in a room. But that's not really culture. Culture at, at a company happens when it becomes bigger than just the founders or that small group of leaders. And I think that you cannot architect that. Foolish people try to. I try to in my, my younger years of okay. trying to say, okay, I perceive culture to be this, and so I'm going to try to manifest this. Okay. And it never works out. I think culture is a reflection of the diverse group of people that you bring into the company, and they must be diverse. And then you must give them the autonomy to drive the energy of that culture in the way that they see fit. Now, your job is to be the steward. Your job is to be the coach on the sidelines. And right. you know, don't let anybody do anything that's inappropriate or it goes too far. But the culture of Chartspan is terrific, and it looks nothing like I imagined it would when I started the company. Okay. And so that truly is a reflection of the people you bring into the company. And it's gotta be more than just lip service. It's, it has to be more than cappuccino machines and ping pong tables. You know, culture has to be <clears throat> something that resonates with everybody and makes them wanna stay with the company. Because the real value of culture is the longevity of, of the talented people that you get when there's a culture they want to be a part of. And so there's a lot of layers to what that means and the energy and, and things you have to do to create a, girl, a great culture. But um, it is the thing I think about more than any other thing when I think about leading Chartspan. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Resource Podcast. You can find a full listing of my other episodes on my website, www.jeffwilsonsc.com. That's www.jeffwilson, the letters sc.com, or your preferred podcasting platform. Again, I'm going back to that entrepreneurial itch, examples of, of bad bosses, um, idiots. I've had some idiots, too, uh, that unfortunately I've worked for. Hopefully you had some good mentors along the way. And if you did, my question is the importance of mentors and or mentoring. Yeah, I have been fortunate to have some really good mentors, and um, I, I crave them. You know, we, that's one of the things that I've been good at is identifying the people and asking for help. Literally asking that question, would you mentor me, is a question I've asked probably a half a dozen people in my okay. career. And every one of them said yes. How do you say no to a question sure. like that, right? Sure. Um, and I try to reciprocate now as, you know, a 52-year-old entre entrepreneur who's done this a few times, I've learned a few things. And uh, I think one of the important things and, and, and even an obligation I have is to give back. And so I try to reciprocate and, and mentor other people as well. I think in the entrepreneurial world, we don't do that enough. We don't ask for help 
And certainly there are a lot of successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs who are willing to help. And then as successful or unsuccessful entrepreneurs, I think it's important you offer yourself and, and give that assistance to young entrepreneurs. Yep. Great, great point. I've, I've spoken with a lot of entrepreneurs, clients in the past, colleagues, uh, and even guests on this podcast talking about uh, failures and whether they the failures are defined as decisions, product launches, decisions made, whatever the case may be. And, and I like to coin the term, do you learn it or burn it? So can you learn from that failure? And if you can, let's, let's spend some time uh, assessing it. But if, if you can't, then, then burn it and move on type of thing. So uh, a lot of people tend to dwell maybe, maybe too long uh, in an area that you're not going to get anything out of. And don't we learn more from failure than we ever learn from Absolutely. success? You know, I, I get so fatigued with how we celebrate the very few entrepreneurs who are successful. And by the way, I'm looking in a mirror. I mean, I've been celebrated for the success we've had at Chartspan, for instance. But the truth is, nobody ever asked me about about the failures. And and the facts are this, and you know this, Mm -hmm. 96% of all entrepreneurs will fail. Right. (laughs) Yet, if I go walk through the airport and I walk through the magazine aisle, all I'm seeing on Fortune and Inc. and Entrepreneurial are success stories. Yes. This is why so many young people want to become entrepreneurs without really understanding what's ahead of them. Yes. It is torturous. Yes. It, 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 will, it, it, it destroys, your, sometimes if you're not ready for it, your family, your friends, it, it, it will sink you into a level of depression you can't imagine. And when I talk to young people, especially you know, at Clemson or, or Furman, the, the business classes, uh, I am loud and, and proud about the failures and yes. taking inventory of those and making sure they all understand that there's a reason that only 4% of us ever succeed. And of that 4%, only a handful of us will ever raise venture capital. Yet that's all you seem to, to hear or see. And, and I think we do a disservice to folks who are considering becoming entrepreneurs when we do that. Right, right. Very good point. You talked about the fact that 96% of, of entrepreneurs will fail. I know that's one of the, uh, the videos that you have that can be found on Scribble. So, and, and you provide some other great video content on there. Um, what, what's, the, what's the value for you in taking your time to, to do these type of videos? Well, I was asked to, and I get asked to a lot, which I find so interesting. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. There's so many people are curious to what I have to say, and, and that's tr- truly humbling. I mean, to to think anybody cares or gives two cents, you know, what my perspective is in the world. And maybe it comes just through a lot of experience, and, and um, it's gratifying, I'm not going to lie. So I, I enjoy doing things like this um, that be you know, that have a, a record forever, right? This will sure. likely be found on the, on the internet. And I'm proud of so many of the things that I've done over the last few years, whether they're videos or podcasts or, you know, recorded interviews. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of, of, of being able to tell what I've learned and, and I hope it helps others. Great, great. You talked about earlier giving back when I was asking you about mentors um, how important is it that a company and an entrepreneur get involved in the community? That's a great question. How important? I find it important, I think, as a, 
as a benchmark for all entrepreneurs. I think that's, that's got to be up to you. I don't know that. Uh, I know lots of entrepreneurs who are not involved in the community, uh, but that are successful. I think it's unique for me, Jeff, because uh, you know my story. We came here and didn't think we were going to stay here. Okay. And we stayed here, and I'm happy to expand if you Well, if you that, that was one of my questions, why I moved the company to Greenville, so please. So in 2013, we were trying to get into a, an accelerator program. So if you've heard of um, Techstars or Y Combinator, if you got into one of those top-tier accelerator programs, you were on the fast track to raise venture capital money in Silicon Valley. And I knew that. At the time, I was in my mid-40s. I didn't necessarily want to go through an accelerator program and hang out with a bunch of 20-year-old you know, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. mainly because in my own hubris, I thought I, I knew everything. But I also knew the value of what would happen if we got accepted into one of those programs. Well, we were fortunate. We got accepted into four of them, including one of the Techstars programs. But there was this program in Greenville, South Carolina, that was sponsored by the Mayo Clinic. Now, if you're a healthcare company and the Mayo Clinic picks you as one of the top 10 healthcare startups, it didn't take much of an imagination to know what that meant. But there was a person named Peter Barth who ran that accelerator program. And many of us refer to him as kind of the godfather of startups because a lot of people don't know that his accelerator program called the Iron Yard in Greenville for several years launched 48 companies, many of which, an abnormally large number of which, are still in existence today, including Chartspan. And I remember Peter said something to me over a Zoom call. I was made to feel by the other three, New York City, Chicago, and um, Jacksonville, I think, like we were lucky to have been accepted into those accelerator programs. And Peter said, you know, they felt they would feel lucky if we chose them. So with the Mayo Clinic as the cachet name, the terms were terrific. And with a founder of the accelerator program like Peter Barth, it was easy to say yes. And we did. And I'll be honest with you. I had to look on a map where Greenville, <laughs> South Carolina was. Most people do. And I was well-traveled. So I remember I rolled into town on a September into Greenville on a Saturday. And downtown was buzzing. And there were orange shirts everywhere. (laughs) And right away, I knew I had found somewhere special. And so that program, which was actually in Spartanburg with a lot of Greenville connections at the time, was amazing. It was the most intense six months of my professional life. It was like getting a PhD in entrepreneurship. And this 45-year-old who didn't want to hang out with a bunch of 20-year-olds learned more in six months than I've ever learned in my career. And my only regret is that they didn't have accelerator programs when I was 20 years old. Every day, somebody from John Hopkins or the Mayo Clinic would come into town or Apple or Microsoft. We learned so much. That's how I met you, Jeff, Yes, was through that program. And so at the end of the program, we were approached by economic development for the county, uh, city manager, uh, the mayor's office, and they made a pitch to us. They said, we heard you say during one of your venture meetings that you're going back to Texas. We want you to stay in South Carolina. Because what they knew was that we were going to be a jobs machine, and we have been. And 
I also knew, again, as a, an older entrepreneur, if I went back to Houston, Texas, nobody was going to give a damn about me. Right. You know, we were just two guys trying to come up. And so I knew how special that was. Then they got Governor Haley involved and Bobby Hitt from South Carolina Department of Commerce. They gave us extraordinary tax incentives to stay if we hit certain thresholds. Again, that just does not happen. But it happened here yes. and it happened in Greenville in South Carolina. We had already fallen in love with the place because spouses and girlfriends, boyfriends, kids had come in to see us and they had fallen in love with it. So we decided to make this our permanent home and it was the best decision we ever made. And so that's a long way to answer your initial question. Giving back to the community is something I feel so compelled to do because they did so much for us this ecosystem that exists within the Greenville, upstate South Carolina area, where small companies matter and they nurture you and they help you overcome the obstacles that so many people trip over and never solve and thus don't succeed. We almost had an unfair advantage because we launched our business in Greenville, South Carolina. And like I said, it's just a decision that I'll never regret. And I'm so fond of this place. So it sounds like you can be an ambassador for our town. I should be. <laughs> I've been accused of being on the chamber's payroll. Uh, I love it. Hello, audience. When I'm not doing this podcast, my day job is serving as chair for C12 Business Forums here in the upstate of South Carolina. C12 is a faith-driven business forum that provides monthly interactions with a peer group and one-on-one -on -one meetings with me for coaching and accountability. These meetings allow for members to have their issues processed, their questions answered, and their answers questioned. Check out my website at jeffwilsonsc.com. That's Jeff Wilson, the letters sc.com, for more information about this organization. Uh, Peter Barth is a name I'm familiar with. I'm, I, he's actually on my radar as a guest, but I have had Eric Dodds uh, on the show from from the Iron Yard, so very familiar with what what they built there and the the type of talent that they attracted, uh, like yours. Um, so that that that's fantastic. So at your at the helm, the the leadership you've you've raised, you've gone through a lot of fundraising at. Chart span. A lot of our listeners are probably at the crossroads of doing that. So, what's some what's some advice you can give our listeners about that journey? Well, the first thing that I always encounter are entrepreneurs who really don't understand the venture capital game. So, right away, you're at a disadvantage. Okay, you've got to even the playing field. So, there's a book by Brad Feld. And the name is going to escape me. Um, perhaps we can list it on, on the podcast sure. uh, URL. We'll get the name of it. But Brad Feld is one of the most successful venture capitalists in the world. And he wrote a book for entrepreneurs so that you can learn the secrets, the game of raising capital okay. with venture capitalists. It's the most important thing I tell any entrepreneur. Read that book and you will be the top 1% smartest of all entrepreneurs in understanding how to position and how to raise capital. Okay. By the way, I read it every year. I've probably read it 15 times. Nice. You could do an executive summary. I could, <laughs> but apparently can't remember the name of the <laughs> So that's the first thing is that um, stop operating at a deficiency from from the guy across you at the table, make okay. sure you're, you you level the playing field. The second thing is stop soliciting 
venture capitalist. Okay. It's just like sales. You need a warm referral, okay. right? You don't cold call. I mean, you can cold call people, but how does that work out for you, right. right? What's your conversion ratio? Same thing with VCs. So networking is critical. Get a warm introduction. I know probably 500 VCs, either I've had meetings with them or exchanged emails with them. If I believe in a young entrepreneur and they come to me and say, I'm trying to reach Joe Blow at this firm. Do you know him? And I do. I'm probably going to make an introduction for you. Okay. That means a lot to that VC that I'm walking somebody in. Now I'm also putting my neck on the line and, and my credibility. Sure. But if I believe in somebody and Lord knows I've done this dozens, if not hundreds of times, and lots of people did it for me as well. I see too many entrepreneurs sending out cold solicitations to VCs and then scratching their head why nobody's calling them back or why they're not getting meetings. Stop doing that. Okay. Instead, take that energy and focus on building a network of people who will refer you into those venture capitalists. By the way, you know what VCs crave? Deal flow. Okay. They have a pipeline too. They want to meet you, but there's a lot of deals in their pipeline. And so referrals mean everything, and that needs to be a focus. And sadly, it rarely is for most entrepreneurs raising capital. Got it. Got it. Good advice. Good advice. So my listeners, and, and you may well know, I'm big on acronyms, right? The title for my podcast, Resource Source, standing for Serving Our Upstate Region Community Entrepreneurs. I have an acronym for you. So the question is, what is your Wiccan WICT? W-I-K-N, W-I-K-T, that stands for what I know now, wish I knew then. So the 2021 John Michael is having a conversation with a young, budding, serial entrepreneur. You're having that glass of wine. How's that conversation go? This might surprise you, but as a young person, as a young professional whose motivations were sincere, I think I was a bit of a jerk. I think that I was willing to step on people to accomplish a goal. Um, to me, candor didn't mean I had to be kind. I could, I, I could be a jerk. Okay. And learning to be kind, learning to shut up and listen, those were things that I wasn't inherently, skills I wasn't inherently born with and didn't have in my young adult life. And they're skills that I wish I would have okay. uh, had early on. I haven't necessarily perfected them today, but I have zero tolerance for jerks today. And okay. We know the culture of Chartspan is one in which candor rules the day, but it, it requires kindness. I don't get to step on you and I don't get to hurt your feelings. I'm just at a point in life where I just have no tolerance for assholes. And, and, and unfortunately, there's a fair amount of them in the world. And um, I'm just at a point where I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put up with it. And, and surely looked in the mirror and said, I don't want to be one. And so I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but that's certainly thing, the thing that comes to mind first. I appreciate you sharing that. A, a, a humble, introspective look. So thank you. And, and thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I've, I've been over here taking some notes. I know my listeners will as well and really appreciate your time from uh, spending with us here. I'm grateful. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care.